it was May 31st, 2008. Um, any Cardinals fan would, would know this, this date. No, not, not really. It was uh, one of those bullpen games. It's kind of a game where they just say, ah, we don't really need a pitcher, so we're just going to throw out relief pitchers, and we'll just take the loss. And, uh, and so the Cardinals started a, a, a guy. Um, actually, I think his name was Mike Parisi. He had an 8.22 career ERA. Uh, he made two starts in his career, six appearances, and never, never uh, was called up again after being sent down. So um, that's, that was the starting pitcher on that day. And, uh, and they were right. They, they knew uh, it wasn't going to go well. Uh, the Pirates uh, started a Paul Mahalam, legit starting pitcher, and we're up 9-1 to one after five innings. Now, why would I remember that day? We actually left after the fifth inning. It, uh, it was just not a fun game, but the truth is I wanted to leave early because I was excited to uh, go back. Uh, my, my, my girlfriend at the time, Jen and I, uh, were at that game, and when we got back, it was the night before our one-year anniversary, and, and uh, I got down on one knee and, and proposed, and she said yes. So, yeah, thank you. And, uh, you know, if you offer someone a $100,000 ring, they're going to say yes. I mean... I'm just kidding. I got it out of that Cracker Jacks box thing. Anyway, um, but she did say yes because uh, she, she at the time, uh, I think still the same, she loved me. And how we, how we feel about someone determines if, if we want to spend time with them. And in, in that case, it would be a lot, a lot of time. Um, and so, but really, why did she say yes? And I think she could ask the question, would life be better with me or without me? Now, that was an uneducated decision, but at, at the time, she thought it would be better with me, and, and maybe, just depends what they ask her, uh, she would say the same. Well, our faith, I think, is, is similar. It's a covenantal relationship between us and between God, and he, he always does his part, but we have to decide, is life better with Jesus in our lives or without we, we, could, we could vocalize that, we could answer with words, but do we really mean it? And there's a story that we're going to look through in Mark chapter 5 in our New Testament reading, and uh, the, Jesus, in a way, asks the question, is life better with me or without? And so join me in Mark 5, beginning at verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been, often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. I'm going to pause there. The area is somewhat important, the, the Gerasenes. Now, if you would look uh, where, that, where the town actually was, and you would say, well, there's no water around, so it couldn't have been right in that specific location. But the idea is this is a general area that was a, um, a Gentile territory, meaning it was people who were not Jewish, they were not worshiping God. So this was an area of people who were not religious. We see that later when we see the mention of pigs, of the herds of pigs. That wouldn't have been allowed if it were a Jewish territory. And, and so uh, the area does matter a little. We'll come back to that as to why later. The man seems to have been under control of the demons for a long time. 
It wasn't just like, oh, there's a demon and now it's, it's gone. Uh, it seems that it was a long time because they tried treatments. They tried to chain them up. The chains wouldn't work. Uh, and, and so it, it would, that wouldn't have been an overnight thing. No one could help him, and this matters a lot. No one could help him. Uh, help was, was the chains. And with the chains, then, what, what would come next? Well, first they chained him, and they couldn't keep him chained, so then they, they kicked him out. It says he was among the tombs. He was among the dead. He was among no one. He wasn't allowed to be around people. Maybe it was his choice. Maybe it was self-isolation. We do that at times uh, for, for reasons that probably aren't good or healthy. Um, but sometimes we choose to separate ourselves from other people. Um, but uh, he was likely kicked out of the area, and then uh, something else came after, isolation, then uh, destructive behavior. So he started, uh, he was shrieking and cutting himself with the stones. The demons were doing this to him. This was, this was not him. This was the demons. And they were smart. When I, when I think of demons, I think of, you know, they're shrieking and, and they're wandering around like we kind of think of ghosts. Um, I can't think of a, of a story of a demon that wandered around. It, it was always in something that was living, not just wandering around like a ghost, like, like there's a demon over there. In, in, in the scriptures, I see demons jumping from people to people, people to animals. Uh, we see them in someone. So they're smart. Satan controlled these demons, and, and they knew exactly what they were doing. Had these demons left this man, he would have had scars. He was cutting himself. The demon was, was hurting this man. He was, he was changing his image. And the further we are from God's design for us, the more shame we feel. Why, why do I have these scars? Why am I this way? Why am I carrying this? The demon knew what he was doing. This could happen in many forms. I think... I think of the question, what, what do you not like about yourself? Satan's probably going to attack that. He's probably going to come after you through that. Uh, I found this story, I just uh, a study. Ian Marcus Corbin did this study for the Harvard Medical School. He interviewed numerous stroke patients. He observes that far too many stroke patients consign themselves to a more private, solitary life in the wake of a stroke, not out of practical inability, but out of shame. This shame is an old American disease whose current day symptoms, including an epidemic of loneliness and rising deaths of, of despair, are becoming impossible to ignore. He also said post-stroke isolation is one more symptom, badly compounding the damage done by stroke itself. Studies show that stroke patients' networks tend to contract in the wake of a stroke. Why? The causes are not perfectly clear, but we can say this. Too often in America, we are ashamed of being weak, vulnerable, dependent. We tend to hide our shame. We stay away. We isolate ourselves rather than show our weakness. Sometimes medication can help stroke victims overcome their shame, but Corbin concludes the better healing would be to teach stroke patients, to teach ourselves that interdependence is nothing to be ashamed of. It's our birthright and the source of some of our deepest strength. Now, I use this story uh, because I was trying to think of, of some things that might be um, making us feel weak, making us feel shameful, or uh, giving some kind of guilt in our lives. Um, and I thought, this, this is one. I mean, I don't, I don't know anyone uh, personally who has had a demon in them as far as I know. It doesn't mean they didn't. 
but I don't know for sure that someone had a demon in them. I do know people who have had strokes. I know people who have isolated themselves. I know people who have tried to keep themselves away from others because they're ashamed of who they are, or, or more specifically, ashamed of something that has impacted their lives, and they think for the worse. This man was a victim of Satan and his demons. He was attacked spiritually. The demons were inside of him. Even if they left him, though, he would not be able to move forward. He had these constant reminders. So verse 6, when Jesus saw from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. When Jesus saw this man. So the man with the demons ran towards Jesus. It was, it was not the man himself controlling, but it was the demons who were running towards Jesus. I, I find this interesting. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do, you want from, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the God most high? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. He went down on his knees. A demon. That's a posture of worship, uh, submission, um, defeat. This man knew he was defeated. The demons inside the man knew that they were defeated. James says, even the demons believe and shudder. This is not about the demons. Yeah, there's a story that we're reading that has demons in it. I don't think it's about the demons. This is a story about Jesus and, and how he has power even over these, these spiritual beings. Um, they know that there's a bigger realm, a spiritual realm. I think we kind of ignore that. You know, what's in front of me, what I can see, that's what I'm going to focus on. But these, these demons, they knew there's judgment and it's coming, and he did not want to face eternal judgment at the time. He was, he was begging for mercy. Jesus said, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now, the number uh, in the Roman Legion was... Uh, the numbers that you can find, 2,500, 3,000, up to 6,000. All this, all this means is there was a sizable military. That's what a legion was. And so this man wasn't just, uh, didn't have one demon in him, but he had many demons in him. He was, he was full of darkness from these demons uh, who they call legion. That was not the man's name. That was the demons. But we have demons. Uh, we, we use the word demons quite a bit, um, maybe not personally, but you can find books on your demons. And, and usually now, demons is not a word that's used for a spiritual being, uh, although it can be, and, and it definitely is here. But we use the word demons as our addictions or our past or our deepest secrets, things that would cause shame or guilt in our lives, things that do cause shame and guilt, and it's hard. Uh, these, these, it's not, it's not uh, like, oh, they're not powerful. They're very powerful. But notice how the real demons responded to Jesus. They feared him. They submitted to him. Why don't we let our demons be, be weaker than Jesus? They are, but we don't acknowledge that. Those demons knew they could not win. Our demons should not be winning either but we let them. These demons knew that Jesus already won. We have to remember the same. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. 
The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. What about those pigs? 2,000 pigs died. Pigs can swim. Jesus did not kill those pigs. Jesus allowed the demons to move. Another sign that Jesus is in control because they asked for his permission. This is so much more important than what happened to the pigs. Jesus showed that he's in control of our bodies and also of the demons. Remember when uh, Israel, uh, the Israelites in Exodus, they were escaping from slavery in Egypt. And, uh, and, and, and what happened there? Well, they, they got across, and then the water flooded and, and killed the enemies. This is a, a symbol of Jesus being the modern-day Exodus. It wasn't against nations. It's not against people, but against demons. Jesus shows, in your minds, in your hearts, in your souls, I have won. I've already defeated him. There's always a bigger picture that we just have to look for. Here's what I see in this story. I see Jesus displayed the power of God in this man against the demons and in an area of people who did not worship God. Jesus still works today. Now here's where we come in. Everything up to this point is about Jesus. Uh, yes, there's demons and, and we have demons in our lives and, and, uh, and we see that, uh, that Jesus had control. But up, up to this point, all I want you to really see is Jesus is powerful. But now we have to respond, and that's what these people did. Verse 14, the first response. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw a man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. Notice the response. Two things happened here, or one thing said twice. They were afraid, and they asked Jesus to leave. They lived their lives out of fear. The demons in, in our lives can cause us to do the same. When something's happened in the past, we don't want it to happen, to get, happen again, so we live in fear. We try to prevent it. We, we take every necessary, which is fine, but then we also take all the unnecessary precautions, and we don't love other people. We don't uh, live in, in community. We don't live the life we should be leaving, living because we're afraid. And so all we worry about is that fear. These people looked, at, uh, looked around. What might Jesus do uh, that we don't like? He, he just killed, they, they would say, he just killed 2,000 pigs. He allowed it. He was the one that, that made it happen, right? Even though the demons killed the pigs. Maybe they were afraid of more financial loss. 2,000 pigs probably weren't cheap. Right? Fear of change. What if he changes the way my life is going right now? I kind of like having control, and I don't want to, to submit to anyone, and I see what can happen, so I'm just going to live in fear. Jesus challenged their way of life. He displayed his power, and they didn't want him. And the same Jesus who got rid of the demons, who could move demons from one person to 2,000 pigs, that same Jesus that showed his power allowed these people to kick him out. 
kicked, they kicked him out. He said, you don't want me here? I'm leaving. And as far as we know, he, he never went back. He's got the same opportunity. If you don't want Jesus in your life, that's fine. He's not gonna, he's not gonna force that on you. You have a choice. But you have to ask the question, do you really believe life is better with him or without? There's a second response here. This is the one I, I hope for, for all of us. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You see a big difference. You see the people who saw it from a distance and, nope, get him out of here. And then you see a man who felt Jesus' power in his life, who was, who was healed, who had God's mercy poured out in him, and he wants more. He says, let me go with you. Jesus said no. Now, this is interesting because in other places, Jesus says, hey, I want you to, uh, uh, to, to not say anything to anyone. But he's got a mission for this guy. Uh, he tells him, he says, uh, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. That's different. He knows that these people have already rejected him. They don't want him. And so it's not going to cause a problem for him to have a ministry in that area. And he's leaving. And so he leaves this guy to have a purpose, to have a mission. A guy who, who had so much... Um, so many problems in the form of demons. You think this guy felt like he was worthy? You think he was? He felt like he was able to share something that would change people's lives? It had nothing to do with who he was or what was in him or what what had happened to him. It was what Jesus did for him. It's that simple. This is the Great Commission. Almost every week, we uh, and I say a lot of times. Go share the gospel. Go, go tell people about Jesus. Well, how do, you, how do we do that? I know it's not easy. It's not easy just to go out and do it. We have a great example right here. Verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. How do we share the gospel? It's repeated here a couple times. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so what does he do? How much, he goes and he tells people how much Jesus has done for him. This is a, I like this story. This is a good story. This is a man that's very clear that he, that he was down. Uh, he had those demons. And, and then when the demons were gone and he could sit there quietly and, uh, and it, it was just, it was very obvious. It was very clear that Jesus changed this man's life. So that's easy to go tell, right? But what about you? What has Jesus done for you? That's the story we start with. Maybe that, that's not the gospel in the fullness. But that's, a, that's a good start. That's where we need to begin. If you want someone to be attracted to Christianity and to Jesus, start by telling that person what he has done for you. What was your life like before and what's, what's changed? Now, you might say, well, actually, before I was a Christian, things were pretty good, and then I started going to church, and I have faith, and, well, someone got sick, or, uh, or someone lost a job, or this relationship ended, and and actually, I don't, now, now that we think about it, I don't really know what he's done for me. 
if you think that that happened because of Jesus, you're, you're terribly mistaken. It may have happened either way. But what has Jesus done for you through the storms? He doesn't, he doesn't promise to just end all the problems. He says, in this world, you'll have problems. But what, it, what has he done for you during the storms? How has he given you comfort? How has he given you faith? How have, have other Christians come alongside you and loved you and showed you that we don't need to live in fear? We live in unity. We live together. We carry each other's burdens. We help each other get through this life because there's going to be problems with all of us. Start by thinking about what he has done for you and share that with those around. God sent Jesus to restore people to him. It's that clear. The townspeople, now nah, they didn't want it. They didn't need Jesus. They were, they were good without him. The man who saw God's mercy in his life, he's the one that needed it. That's what's going to move us to uh, sit in the pews and, and, and talk about it. And I'm talking about myself. It's easy to talk about. It's easy to talk about sharing the gospel. It's easy to talk about living in, in community and loving other people. It's a lot harder to do it. But when we recognize that I don't need to live in fear, but he will take care of it, and he has taken care of it, and he has moved me to a place where I am to where I can love other people, all of us, that when we recognize God's mercy in our own lives as to where we were, to where we are now, and where we can be, that is when we, we need to answer the question, is life better with or without Jesus? If you've already considered that, if you're a Christian, I pray you would just consider it more. Just think about how can I put this into words? It's tough to explain sometimes. It doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's a phase. I mean, a, 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 it's a long phase. But if you've never considered this, then I pray you would consider that today. If you'd like to talk about it, if you want to know more about what the, the gospel or the good news means, if you want to know what he actually has done for you on the cross, then I'd like you to come and talk to me after church. I'll, I'll, be, uh, I'll be right back by that door. Uh, when the service closes. All right, let's pray. Father, you are good to us, even when we don't see it. Uh, through life's storms, through the challenges, through sickness and broken relationships and hurt, sometimes it feels like the enemy is winning. We can't see uh, far enough ahead to know. Uh, we can look back to see your faithfulness. We can see the words of the prophets, we can see people hundreds of years ago speaking of Jesus and then you sending Jesus to take our place on the cross. I'm thankful for that reminder first. I look forward to, to knowing uh, why things happen the way they do. Uh, but until that day comes, I pray that you would uh, help us to focus on, on, uh, on the cross, on Jesus, on these stories to see what would happen if we would allow you to work in our lives. I pray that you would give us wisdom and comfort, and courage, and hope. Most of all, I thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.